It's Tuesday, August 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. And Strategy Week continues. We're talking international investing. So, of course, joining me in studio for Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hanson. Thanks for being here. My, my pleasure. Welcome to Strategy Week. Strategy Week. <laughs> it's like Shark Week. It is. It is. It's not as big. It will be. It will be eventually. Um, my first question when it comes to international investing is this one of those things that for someone who is looking at their portfolio, do you consider this to be a must um, in in the way that Ron Gross has said before that every portfolio, if it's going to be balanced, has got to have some exposure to energy? Do you look at international investing and say, look, if you want a balanced portfolio, there's got to be some exposure to international markets in there? There's an argument for that. So I believe that argument. Um, but also, it just has to do with, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stock picker at heart. And there are, you know, ten that five ten thousand companies listed in the United States, but you know, there's fifty thousand companies listed around the world. More. Why limit yourself, you know, to a certain boundary? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Opportunities exist everywhere. You know, the diversification argument is a strong one. If you if you're an American citizen, right, um, and you live here and you work here, your savings are in U.S. dollars. Your land is your home, ostensibly, to the extent that you own one is a dollar-based investment. Right. Um, you're getting paid in dollars. You're very, very tied to the U.S. economy. And so it makes sense to go tie some of your savings, you know, because your retirement savings are probably 10, 15 percent of your net worth, hopefully, maybe more. Congratulations that they are. Um, and if you put 50, 25, 50 percent of that in equities that are touching other countries around the world, I mean, I think that only, I think that only makes sense. I mean, diversification works. The more you get diversified, the better off you are, and and international just is just one component of that. Now there's some fees associated with international investing, so you know there's a there's a role for like the you know not to talk up our own book here, but like the index plus a few strategy, where you know you want to pick domestic stocks, but you know use a fund or an ETF or something on those. Not an ETF has its own issues, yeah. Um, but to get that international that international piece for you, so you're covered. You're covering all your bases. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the ETF, and I. It, it's because of you that now, whenever I hear about ETFs, I think of something you said. I think on one of the early episodes of Market Foolery, which you compared the ETF to the hot dog, the hot dog of investing, the hot dog of investing. That's like not entirely sure what's in there. Right, right. That's exactly right, and that only becomes more and more true as you verge out into the emerging world, um, where you know you get to a country like. Like Peru, and I don't have the the all the exact numbers in front of me, but the big mining companies and the big banks are going to be sixty, seventy, seventy five, eighty percent of the of the portfolio. And if you look at what, for example, that you know the things that we find interesting in Peru, a stock that we've disclosed holding is called Lindley Corp, which is the local Coke bottler. You know, it's a one hundred, two hundred million dollar company. It's a little bit of liquid. I mean, there's no chance for a liquid ETF to be able to own right. a good portion of it. But you know, there's strong demand trends in Peru for you know. Beverages, Coca-Cola, Inca-Cola. Um, it's cheap relative to other Coke bottlers around the world, which is always kind of a fun comparison to make. And then, and then there's been a consolidation trend amongst Coke bottlers in Latin America. You know, so maybe somebody decides Lindley Corp is interesting, but even if they don't, you know, they've got a big new plant they're putting in in the north side of the country, and and so that's sort of a you know a micro opportunity that would escape the ETF world, um, which is why I think. You know, there's a role for for active management or picking your own stocks in, in in global markets. But for a lot of people, ETFs are 
either something that they gravitate towards or if they're working for an advisor, someone who is saying to them, hey, look, you need international exposure. This is a hot market, and the safest way to play it is just with an ETF. It's a basket of stocks. So why pick stocks in Brazil when you can get the Brazilian ETF? Or- yeah, you know, I, I, I understand the appeal of the easy way, but it's funny. You know, the easy way and the best – are there any things that are easy and the best? I mean, <laughs> there are probably a few out there. Um, but, you know, the best way usually takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of critical thinking. That's not to say that there aren't, you know, ETFs that can serve your purpose. But, you know, you don't just want to take the the one that happened to be first and call itself, right. you know, bestproveanetf.com. You know, yeah. look inside, look under the hood, see what's actually, you know, what composes the holdings, you know. If, you know and if you want to, you know, look abroad and, and, and do your own picking and choosing, you know, a lot of great foreign companies trade as ADRs in the United States. So you can trade them for, you know, four ninety nine or nine ninety nine or whatever your commission happens to be. Um, you know, and more and more brokerages are offering exposure to to, you know, other exchanges around the world in places like Hong Kong and Tokyo and um, you know, Paris and, and, and those sorts of you know, Euronext. They're very liquid. You know, and it's and like I said, it's it's a fun and interesting sort of um, intellectual experiment to go out and start looking at companies that aren't listed in the United States. I want to get to industries in a second, but first, when you look around the world, are there regions of the of the planet, or are there specific countries that are? Why at- stop at the planet? Chris? <laughs> we'll get to intergalactic. Uh, <laughs> that's that's next year on Strategy Week. We'll get to intergalactic investing. Um, but but are there are, are there countries at either end of the spectrum that either? You find yourself thinking, no, 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 I really want to look in this area, or at the other end of the spectrum, you think, ah, there's, there's really nothing to be found there, or that's an area that's picked over. Because it seems like every six months or so, whether it is, you know, the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, you know, some some large financial entity, or someone at one of those financial media companies will proclaim, you know. X country is the hot country to be in. Yeah, that's a fun game that people play, and and you know we don't we don't really take a top down view of things. I mean that's not totally true. I mean if if, if a, so for example, emerging markets over the past year have underperformed developed markets by like thirty or thirty five percentage not, points. Yeah, it's not close. It's historically a huge gap. Now some of that is reverting back to the mean because emerging markets have probably gotten ahead of themselves. Some of it is. You know, Europe coming off of relatively low valuations when people thought the euro was going to go down. And, um, you know, but anytime there's a divergence of that magnitude, I mean, that's interesting. It says, you know, it says to me, hey, let's go, let's go see what's floating around out there. And so, you know, you know, China, for example, is a market that has been nothing but boom and bust, it seems like, for 10 years. It's like top of the world, oh, the whole country's a fraud and it's going to collapse. Oh, top of the world, you know, the whole country's a fraud and it's going to collapse. And, and and right now, you know, Chinese tech stocks, for example, over the past like month and a half, or you know, Baidu is up from eighty five to you know one hundred and forty in in a matter of six weeks. I mean, that's crazy. Um, there are a, a few reasons for it, um, but you know, a lot of investors f- fear volatility or equate volatility with risk. And not to get too academic, but you know, we love volatility because one of the reasons I find emerging markets interesting is that. You know, a place like Korea can go from the top of the world to the bottom of the heap in a period of months. Um, and that means, you know, but have the fundamentals of Korea changed that much? Have the companies there? Are they, you know, are they worth 50%? No. 
you know, when the U.S. stock market drops 50%, most people panic. Great investors go looking for great, you know, stocks. And um, you get that opportunity more often in the emerging world at, at present um, for a variety of reasons. Like, you know, people think there can be unstable or there's not as much liquidity. There aren't as many sophisticated investors participating. And so, you know, maybe it looks like the U.S. markets did many, many years ago. But those are all reasons not to fear them, but to think they're, they're really great places to, 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 to be investing in, in individual stocks. Uh, in the U.S., as we head into the last four months of the year, I think there's a, a little bit of a gravitational pull towards a couple of industries uh, broadly, one being retail with, with holidays coming up at the end of the year. And one being consumer technology. We already know Apple has planned an event in, on September 10th. Uh, presumably, Samsung at some point will have an event. Uh, you know, so, so those two. When you look at the world of international investing over the last four months of 2013, are there particular industries that you find yourself looking at for opportunities, whether they are just this one industry in this one region or just uh, an industry uh, around the world? Yeah, I mean, consumer, I think, is, is an important, you know, very long-term, you know, my, my, my boss, Bill Mann, would call it a mega trend. Um, you know, people around the world, especially in emerging markets, are getting wealthier. They have more disposable income, and they're using that money to purchase, you know, luxury items, mass luxury items, and also, um, you know, d- further down the income spectrum, um, items of convenience. So, you know, a company like Unilever in India, you know, they're selling a lot of detergent. And, um, you know, one of the product innovations they've come up with there is not, you know, when we go to the store, we buy, um, you know, detergent that might last us a month. You know, you go to Costco, you might buy detergent that lasts you <laughs> three months. Right. You've got these huge bottles of detergent. You know, the re- reality in India is that people are, who, are, who are buying detergent for the first time or shampoo or any of these items that we sort of take for granted, they don't live in very large homes. They don't have a lot of storage, probably none, because they're sleeping enough people in, 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 in their plat that you know they don't have a big closet like we do in some of the McMansions around our country. And frankly, at any given time, they probably don't have enough money to buy three months' worth of soap. So Unilever recognizes this reality, and they make what they call in India sachets, which are basically single-serving Detergents, single-serving soaps, things that we might travel with, um, they sell at the corner store. And so the week, you know, you can go in on the Friday, you're doing wash, and you can get your detergent. Yep. It's an entry-level product. It's a packaging innovation that you wouldn't see here, you know, but it's and, – and it doesn't seem expensive on its face, but it's a huge jump of convenience for these consumers. And, you know, if you look at any of these companies, diagram out where they think the market's going, it's, hey, introduce you to the single-serving. As you get a little bit wealthier, maybe you'll invest in a bottle that'll last you the week and so on and so forth down the line. Um, so the, the, those consumers don't look like consumers in the United States yet, but they're starting to rhyme a little bit more, and there's a playbook there um, for a lot of these consumer goods companies. So that, that I think, is a really interesting space. Going hand-in-hand hand with that is, is banking, um, small banks, just people becoming bankified, which I think is a real world, real word. Really? <laughs> I think it is. Okay. I think it is. Um, I'll look this up after the Bankification? <laughs> I think you get bankified, which just means, you know, have a savings account, have enough money that you might have a debit card or a credit card. Um, you know, those are in, there are a lot of ways that that becomes interesting. Uh, then mobile phones, and not necessarily the phones as much, which are sort of a race to the bottom in terms of pricing, but then 
all the things that mobile phones enable you to do in terms of um, you know searching online and and shopping online and, and and that sort of thing. So the tech space is certainly interesting. You know, and the things that we're not as interested in are you know a lot of emerging markets. The big companies there now are um, oil and gas, extractive industries, uh, mining. You know, and 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 those are probably not. It's not where the future lies for a lot of these countries. So so we're not as excited about those. Um, last question, because I know uh, part of your role at Motley Fool Asset Management is uh, on-the-ground research. You travel around the world. I'm curious whether it's through the rest of 2013 or into 2014. What, Where are you headed? Uh, and if you don't have something on the books, what's, what's sort of on your wish list uh, in terms of Regions you want to explore and and see if you can learn a bit more about. Yeah, I mean it's probably it's probably the best part of my job. Twenty um, thirteen was a busy year. Um, you know we st- we were we were in India and Thailand and Japan, and um, I was in I was in France and and Tony was in Singapore and Taiwan and Turkey. So we got I mean we covered a lot of ground. Bill Barker's um, over in the UK. Bill Barker's right now. in the UK at present. Uh, we have a trip planned for Peru and environs uh, for November um, to go see some of our, you know, our holdings down there. Um, twenty fourteen, we haven't been back to Korea in a while. Um, and Korea is a funny market because it's just talking about momentum markets. It's just, you know, the um, I don't know if you remember. This is a funny story. The 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 rapper Psy. Gangnam style. Gangnam style. Yeah. So Sai's dad is a is a corporate executive in Korea, and he works on two public companies. Um, when Sai's song hit, the stock of the company that owned the rights to the song went up a mm-hmm. lot, probably too much. It came back down, but sure. But then also the stocks of uh, that Sai's dad was like on the board of also went up, you know, thirty, forty, fifty percent. Just cause. Because it's Korea. <laughs> That's how the Korean market rolls. So, you know, some people look at that and say, holy cow, I don't want to be involved. But, you know, it's funny. I was saying to Tony the other day, you know, some of these companies just, you know, they give guidance. They show you what they're going to do. You kind of say, all right, let's ballpark it, do some of your own work. And say, you know, and then you look at what the market, you know, you work backwards to figure out what the market's expecting. And it's like they expect the company to go bankrupt. You say, yeah, I don't think that. I think that's kind of a low (laughs) – Low probability of it here, and then the stock, reco- you know, you know, and it's just like, oh, right, thank you very much for that. You know, yeah. you don't. Uh, it's not that's uh, you know, the markets do look more inefficient than than the U.S. market in terms of the information that's available, provided you can access it, and then kind of putting two and two together. So, I think there's a there's a working working trip to Korea and uh, uh, maybe Beijing or, or China planned for uh, the early part of 2013, and then beyond that, you know, whatever. Whatever tickles our fancy. I think there might be a. This would require a little bit of research, but I think there's a play there. Look at international recording artists, and then find out what <laughs> family members they have, direct relatives who are at public companies, and then you know just take a flyer. Well, they, you got to know. You got to know who's going to have the hits, though. That's true. You you, you got to spread it around. That's probably harder than investing <laughs> in stocks. Is thinking about who's going to have the one hit 
the next one hit under. Uh, to read more from Tim Hansen and the crew at Motley Fool Asset Management, go to foolfunds.com. You can sign up for Declarations, the free monthly newsletter. Thanks for being here. Hey, good luck with the rest of uh, Strategy Week. Strategy Week. We're going to have T-shirts made up. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.